I had a recent shock, Chaz. Uh, actually, a string of recent shocks, but more on that later. It actually begins with the pleasant shock of hearing a jazz album of original material in this year of our Lord, 2020, and actually being very taken with it. Something that hasn't happened to me in that genre for years. I gave it a try for the first time after reading a tasteful Pitchwork Fork review, and aren't they so tasteful these days? And having the ideals and the music really resonate with me. And that would be the end of a simple story, but it actually ends in a different personal shock that I'm still astounded by, and the mildest of tragedies, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Today, on a Albums That Hit Us Hard in 2020 edition of Louder Than Sound, we talk about Cahil Elzebar's 2020 album, America the Beautiful. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's loud! here with my brother Jake, and we're going to talk at you about some music. But first of all, Happy New Year! Woo! Pop the cork! Chippy! So this episode is being released on January 1st, 2021, mm. a year that, Jake, you will note, is not 2020. I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty pumped about any year not being 2020, and so that's great. Yeah. However, uh, we're recording it still back in 2020. So right. That, that's still 2020. <laughs> but it's getting close to the end of 2020 as we record Thank this. Thank goodness. But uh, with that in mind, we're going to talk about 2020 some more because... Uh, we listen to a heck of a lot of music, both of us, in 2020, as we do every year. Oh, yeah. And our theme this time is music that we discovered in 2020. So it wasn't necessarily released that year, though your choice for this week is. Right. Um, but it's just something that was new to us or, you know, maybe you listened to it once 10 years ago and didn't care and now you really like it. I don't know. But something that got really exciting, music that was really exciting to you in 2020. Um, so one thing I think notable for both of us this year is we got Apple Music this year. Oh, yeah. Great. And, you know, family plan, sharing it up Boom. between the two of us. Just, it's just been great. It's been great. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, but it's, kind of, it's, it's changed the way I listen to music totally. a lot. And I knew it would. And that's, that's partly why I resisted it for so long is that I thought that I really liked the old way that I listened yeah, to I and too. checked out music. But it's just so much easier. It's so much better. It is. It is. Yep. It's, it's kind of changing things. And I feel bad about some stuff. But I'm still buying music. Hey, and I, I also don't know about you, but this year of all years, I needed so much music. Oof. This pandemic, I, I've been put it in my ear Working from home since March <sighs> uh, with my entire family and nobody else, and it's been a very challenging year for yes. a heck of a lot of people. I lost my job in 2020. Mm. It's been it was, me too. It's, it's been quite a year. Quite a year. It has. Uh, and so Apple Music has been nice for that. You know, any streaming service, it would have been any, but you know, Apple Music is what we have now. Yeah. Now, I use this in particular to dive in a ton of older music that I hadn't purchased, particularly from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I think you listened to more, a lot more new music this year. I did. 
I listen to a lot of new music every year lately, though, which I think yeah, is some, I, it's something I, we differ I, on. Well, it is now. But I, when we were younger, yeah. I used to listen to way more new music than yeah. you did. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm and pretty now, up for on some the, reason. I'm pretty up on it. Things have things have swapped a little bit. I'm listening to less new music at this time. Time anyway. Uh, but that, but not just like listening to you know just stuff from my youth either. It's not like I'm stuck in the nineties. No, 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 no. You got new I'm, stuff coming. I'm out. more like it's fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, older stuff in general. Sure. Anyway, um, it kind of makes me think of. I remember when I was in my early twenties, my first apartment out of college and everything, and I remember just you know I had no money whatsoever, so if I wanted new music, which I did, um, I had to find you know cheap ways to do it, and I was trying to be legal, so I was staying off the streaming services at the time. I remember that. So I bought this uh this. I bought a cassette deck and I bought a turntable that also had an eight track player attached to it. Like it was, it was a <laughs> awesome. turntable eight track player. And I already had a CD player that was in good shape and I would go to uh, thrift stores and you know, you get a record for 50 cents. At yeah. Thrift stores easy. They were like, they were like coasters by at that point. Oh yeah. And they had tons of tapes and stuff. And so anything that I, I, that I was even remotely interested in, I, I would just buy it. And then I had tons of new music. Wow. That's awesome. It was great. And so I got into a lot of, like, I listened to a lot of jazz and a lot of classical at that time, because mm. that's what you would find really cheap and easy on, on record. But it was, it was while we got through. And now I feel like that's kind of a similar situation where, you know, just, I got to, to listen to whatever I want to. You're rummaging through the digital dustbins. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, with that, Jake, I'm going to hand things over to you to talk a little about this album that you uh, have presented to us. By an artist that I was not—I wasn't even familiar with the artist beforehand. No, which I, I wasn't. I wasn't either. I, I think I wasn't that's the either. first time that's happened that it's been somebody I wasn't even yeah. familiar with the artist. Yeah. So uh, you regale us here, Jay. Okay. Just, you know, All right. Let's, well, let's know what's going on. I'm talking about uh, Kahil Elzabar's uh, album *America the Beautiful*, which actually came out very recently. It was in the beginning of November. I read my first review. Oh wow, that recent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so well, um, that it was fresh. Super, it was obviously. Fresh on my mind when we were doing this, um, you know, albums that we discovered in 2020 theme, and it's attached now to this kind of roller coaster of, of emotion, as I, I mentioned in the cold mm -hmm. open. So um, that begins, as I said, with a mild and pleasant shock. Um, is pleasant shock an oxymoron? Pleasant shock. Yeah. I don't know. I had to think yeah, about it. I, don't know. I, I came out thinking it probably was like a shock is yeah, never probably a, a probably shock a isn't one. good. Yeah, right? a shock isn't positive. I don't know. Anyway. No. So that just goes against each other. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, the, the pleasant shock was that I became immediately enchanted with this album, which is classified as jazz, and I haven't really fallen for a new jazz album maybe, like, ever. Like, of, you know, I've heard tons of jazz from the past that I love and I'd never heard before all the mm -hmm. time. But, like, a new, it came out right now, jazz album. Yeah. Um, I studied and played jazz guitar in college, and I was pretty into jazz before then as well, having dutifully picked up Miles Davis's Kind of Blue and The Birth of the Cool and some Coltrane. And love Supreme. Yeah, Love Supreme and uh, my, are my favorite things. And uh, Bird and uh, Charles Mingus, who we'll actually get to it a little bit later. Um, I dove into the used CD market for mega classic jazz albums and had even started a tiny, fun little vinyl collection uh, these days of the genre. Mm. When I can find mm. something cheap, you know, not like back in the day, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, many jazz albums have hit me hard per this theme, but never a new jazz album, even by established artists. I love jazz, but it seems like a thing of the past sometimes. And uh, even that one thing that everyone says about it still, that it's America's greatest musical invention seems to fade a little bit by the year as it falls out of the culture. Um, sure. In fact, I think the thinking now is that country music is America's greatest musical gift, um, just because it goes well, across I, 
uh, so many other genres and is so relevant all the time. I, I think there'd be a big, uh, you know, movement towards like hip hop. Yeah, hip hop might be on, right now. Hip hop might be on its way for sure. For sure. Because that's so much. I mean, that's the dominant musical genre yeah, yeah. right now, period. Yeah, good call. Good call. Um, and uh, um, I feel like I'm one of the only people that purports to, like, really love jazz, um, but in addition, you know, doesn't really follow its new shifts and artists rapidly. I suppose people can love jazz and not be really, really up on it. Sure. Um, I yeah, and I don't think I know intimately one jazz fan, including myself, can that can attest to loving old jazz and loving new jazz. I just don't know those people. Obviously, they mm-hmm. obviously they exist <laughs> in in droves. Um, and and personally, I'll give a new jazz album a spin based on a review or your endless. And there's parts that I enjoy, but it simply doesn't grab me like other genres of new music. But Cahil Elzebar's newest jazz album did right off the bat. I appreciated the conceit, the cool artwork, the refreshing vitality, but most of all, the music, which sucked me in immediately in that most surprising and entertaining of ways, the feeling all music appreciators are searching for every time they put on something they never heard. Like, oh man, that, that's just, that's just yeah. like crack. It's like, you got it. You got to have it, but it happens. So well, it only, I think you and I used to talk about this with dad, with our father before he passed away. I feel like it only happens about once or twice a year that you find one of those albums. Maybe. I like, feel like it's less boom. for me now. It's like less And there's for sometimes, me yeah. Some, I do, I've said definitely had some years where it didn't happen at all. Yeah. It used to happen all Pro- the time. It probably averages once a year at this point. Yeah, maybe once a year. You're right. You, you hear something that you hadn't heard before. Um, so I love a new jazz album, which is super. And that's the pleasant shock part of the story. The next part is about the actual artist. Cahil Elzabar was born and raised and is heavily identified with Chicago, Illinois. He's currently 67 years old and apparently is an absolute legend, um, despite neither of us ever having really heard of him. He's mainly a percussionist, but is also a multi-instrumentalist and composer of note. He has at least two fairly famous bands, whereby he is the band leader, Ritual Trio and the Ethnic Heritage Ensemble, both of which have been around since the mid-70s and continue to be active as touring bands and album makers. He also makes albums under his own name, like the one we're talking about today, and a fair many others through the years stretching back to about 1981. He fosters a very collaborative and prolific style of musicianship and really strains the boundaries of quote-unquote jazz, or straight-ahead jazz. Um, He has played straight bebop um, and that kind of thing uh, at times, but probably more... Who hasn't, Jake? Well, let's scat a little about it. You know, you know, I'm more of a hard bebop than a you know traditional <laughs> bebop fan, but that's just me. Um, but he's probably known more over the years um, for his free jazz discipline, as well as Afro-Cuban jazz, um, which you can hear for the most part in his yeah, domain. Yeah, that's definitely this one. He's collaborated with Dizzy Gillespie, Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Cannonball Adderley, Paul Simon, and Pharaoh Sanders. So that's pretty good. I guess it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's about. Okay. It's all right. It's. I mean, it's okay. Sure. It's like half your resume, but it's it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's only he's only sixty seven. He's got he's got a ruby girl. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get it together, Cahill. Of further <laughs> importance, he was a member and the chairman from nineteen seventy five through nineteen eighty three of the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. Had you ever heard of this? No. A A A C M. It's a nonprofit organization that had originally formed in nineteen sixty five that supports and encourages specifically jazz performers, composers, and educators. That's based in Chicago. 
Um, and apparently for a while it was extremely vibrant and influential, um, even throughout the 70s and 80s. And they've helped on, to this day, put on thousands of concerts and have advanced not only modern music, but modern thinking and visibility of modern music. Well, good for them. So, Elzebar is awesome and respected and experienced very visibly, specifically in Chicago, which brings us to the next part of this shocking tale. Oh, uh, I'm ready. Well, almost anyway. We're going to get I there. I hope it doesn't get too torrid or too lurid, Jig. Yeah, there's not a lot of... Keep that down, okay? There's not a lot of luridity, luridness, luridness. Luridness? Luridity, I like better. Uh, first, I must shout out one of my best friends, uh, Ben Myers. We met at Knox. If you're listening, Ben, I'm sure you are. Hi. <laughs> I met Ben sometimes. <laughs> well, you were in the wedding with him, so there was definitely... Well, sure. There was, sure. There, there was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. We met at our college at Knox College and lived together in various ways, including in Chicago for 10 months in the same apartment. More on that later. And he uh, was, of <laughs> course... Quite the I visited was... you there once. It was quite the <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that place. Maybe you can give I'm us your sure memories. I'm pretty sure Brooks' after. car got broken into while I was there. Yeah, within the first 10 minutes, actually. Yeah. And, yeah. Da- and Dad saw it happen from the window, and he was like, hey, stop. And the guy just stood there and waved at him. Just was, was like, hey, what's like up? Six floors up. In the You're area. six floors up. What are you going to do? <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, so my friend Ben, he moved to Louisiana, Louisiana quite a few years ago and has not returned. And I visited him there twice, but the last time was nine years ago. I'm allergic to social media and have a hard time keeping up with people anyway. So even though Ben and I are basically brothers, we have not been as connected as we once were. But as me, your actual brother. As you, you know, you're, you're, yes. who you're talking to right now. And podcast, you know, podcast uh, <laughs> partner, which really glues our relationship together. I'll tell you what. We're like double brothers at this point. Triple yeah. brothers. <laughs> We're brothers three or four times over. Yeah, he ain't heavy. He's my double brother. <laughs> um, uh, ben reached out about two weeks ago with an activity that he thought up or read about somewhere, um, which I have come to call Extremely Personal DJ Pass Party. He would send me a song to listen to, and then I would send him back one that was related, and he would shoot one back, etc., etc. No pressure, just whenever, and it's been really fun. In the interest of this discussion, here's how the order went right from the start. So Ben sends Curtis Brown's Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus... I send Nina Simone's Come By, You Hear, Good Lord. Ben sends Alan Toussaint's American Tune. I sent Gillian Welch's You Only Have Your Soul. Ben sends Thelonious Monk's Sweet and Lovely Take Two. And I sent Cahil Elzabar's Express Yourself from the album we're talking about. We marveled at it together, and then he sends me an incredible text that I still can't believe, even though it's true. So Ben and I and Brooke, my now wife, who we were just talking about, and like four to six other people at any given time lived in an apartment in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago in 2003 and 2004 that we called the Monkey House. That was the name of it. <laughs> Monkey House. That's the Monkey place House. we visited. It was meant to be lived in, which we did, but it was also an amazing large open space with wood floors, and we fancied it kind of a performance space or communal art space. We held events like art shows and small concerts with musicians that we knew basically, like me, um, now, Brooke and I left to live and work on an organic farm in our hometown of Osceola, Wisconsin, but the Monkey House lived on and continued to be an event center. So much so that Ben tells me that they hosted a concert by none other than frickin' Cahel Elzabar with his band what? Ritual Trio sometime in the months after Brooke and I left the apartment. That's crazy. So, and I was looking on his uh, Wikipedia... Is it still a thing now? Because you haven't lived there in... 
15 I don't, years. Well, I don't. I have no idea if it's a thing now. Okay. But in two, it certainly was in 2004 when Cahil Azatar okay. stopped by with, <laughs> with Ritual Trio. I mean, it was like a paid concert and everything, but it was like they did a concert at this place that I lived, like on their regular, <laughs> they were touring the world. They were, you know, they're like a famous jazz that's band. Not, that's nuts. Ah, so that was crazy. And uh, apparently it was amazing. Elzebar played the kalimba and the drums, and there was a trumpeter playing two horns at the same time. I, I don't know if that's apocryphal. But he was... Uh, it can, no, it can be done. No, I know it can. I'm just wondering, you know. This okay. sounds like like when you miss the circus come through town and everyone the next day yeah. tells you, like, it was the most amazing thing you've ever heard. It's like, no, guys, we're was, playing two trumpets. <laughs> when I was playing more, you know, when I was playing, like, in the French horn was my instrument. But I could play two, not, like, really well, but I could play two different horns at the same you time. You could skronk into those bad boys. I could skronk into them, and I yeah. could do, like, a little, you know, I could at least control the notes on one of them. That's excellent. Maybe you can go on tour with Ritual Trio. <laughs> I mean, but the fact that I haven't played in at least ten years is really going to be. I think that's going to be good for me. Here. I think they're really going to like it. They're I think. Like I think. I think you're hired right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, in a in a bit of serendipity, uh, Ben has a recording of it on his hard drive, and he sent me the files just this week of the actual <laughs> concert, and I, I and it sounded pretty good. Like. I don't uh, know who recorded it, if it was, you know, semi-professionally recorded or just, I don't, we didn't have iPhones back then. So it would have had great. to done like a, anyway, it sounded great. Um, and, uh, and, and I liked it and I'll listen to it again. Um, so that's my big actual shock. It's kind of a, that's, a, a, that's shock. It's, it's a, shocking. It's a small it's world. Shocking. It's like a really small world to have heard that. I'd never heard of this musician before. Um, the minor tragedy that I referred to earlier was that I missed it, but that's the only bad part of the story. Yeah. Um, apparently, apparently my loser flatmates stopped being losers right after I left town. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Way to go. I thought we were... You know, uh, Jake, that does suggest that maybe there was a different part of this equation that, that <laughs> changed when you left. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. But, I, uh, I hadn't thought of that. You know? We know we know Brooke wasn't the problem. So. No, well, certainly not. No, as a as a true narcissist, I could never be the problem, Jess. I just want you to know. <laughs> okay, so now before explaining the music on the album, I am tasked with making a guess about what you, Charlie, thought of Elzebar's latest effort, America the uh -huh. Beautiful. So on this podcast, we try to guess what the other person would score the album based on a negative five to plus five scale. So, if we think the other person would love, love, love it, plus five. If they would hate, hate, hate it, negative five. And I realized as I was going through this particular one that I have no reference point as to how you feel about jazz, except that I just heard this wonderful story about you, you know, dust, dust binning it, and uh, I didn't know that. Um, I can't imagine we've ever had one conversation about jazz. Can you think yeah, of one? I don't one? know. I, uh... Maybe definitely less than five, ever, like at all. Um, I think, I thought at least I was the only person in our immediate family who got into jazz, starting with like Miles Davis, or maybe I was just the first. And like I said, I don't consider newer jazz and talk about it with anybody. I guess I've been hermetic about it, so I don't even know if you like the genre. You didn't, I guess you didn't say whether you really loved all the jazz records. No, I didn't. But this album is definitely jazz, but it's also funky, and I know how funky you are. It's got, mm -hmm. it's, it's timely, it's got melody, it's got the faintest whiff of minimalism with its steady and static beats, all of which made it appeal to you, but I honestly don't know. It would be hard to imagine you hating it, but how hard did it make you groove is the question. <laughs> I think you like it, and I think you give it a plus 1.0. Okay. All right. Okay. 
Well, I'll start this out by saying that no, I I don't listen to much jazz. Okay. I, okay, I didn't think I, so. I know a decent amount about it. I never, and I will say like there's you know different genres of jazz. Like I I never got in hard to instrumental jazz. Like I've got some Miles Davis and some John Coltrane. Yeah. Because I'm not I'm not a monster here. <laughs> Come on. Are you American? But I where I found more of it, and actually that I like more is more of the uh, the Vogue. Like I like Ella Fitzgerald. And, oh, uh, interesting. Okay. Holiday, you know, Simone, like yeah, those well, type. Yeah. Like, I really like that, and I have, you know, I own several albums by all three of them. Um, and so that's where more of my jazz tastes go in general. With that said, uh, this was a really interesting one. Okay. It really okay. Well, it came across as very, like, unique. It didn't sound... The closest reference I could come up with was probably uh, Fela Kuti. Yep. Okay. But I, right. do like, I, do like, I do like me some Fela Kuti, so that kind of jazz. Again. Because He's got this like Afro beat to it, kind of the polyrhythms going on underneath on yep. most of the songs, which I really like. Uh, there's the upright bass working it in the background. Mm-hmm. Saxophone, violin over the top. The violin, I feel like, was very, the sound of the violin is very interesting, very unique. And I feel like that yes. was what set him apart and made him sound different than a lot of other jazz musicians. You don't hear a lot of jazz violin, you know? No. It's not, no. not a real common thing in there. Those jazz influence over the top and, you know, them beating around and you know grooving and doing all that kind of stuff but I especially like that violin um i also enjoyed the kind of playfulness of the music in general so that first track is you know the song america the beautiful it's a version of america the beautiful but it's it's jarring when you first start listening to it it's got these strange chords it feels like a high school band that is uh, out of tune <laughs> at first but then you get into it and it's somehow good in spite of the fact that it sounds like a bunch of instruments out of tune and so i don't know how he did that i have no clue and when it does all of it, when it gets into jazz, like I don't, I don't have that level of knowledge to recognize the different themes and the different, sure. you know, sure. like I, I just don't have that musically. I don't know that enough um, to see where they're riffing and how they're doing all this stuff. Um, I also liked uh, "Express Yourself," the song, which mm-hmm. starts out with an interpolation of "Mr. Big Stuff" by Gene Knight. You know it, baby. It's totally. Mr. Big Stuff. Yes. I listened to it like it took me a little bit to to realize what song it actually was, but that was just and so that playfulness to the music I thought was interesting and kind of fun to it. I particularly liked the songs "Freedom March" and mm-hmm. "Sketches of an Afro Blue." Yeah, both of which were kind of the longer. And I, I didn't I hadn't thought of the minimalism, but you know I like a lot of minimalism. Uh, but I hadn't thought of that being under that but underpinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the African yeah. drumming. Yeah, and I like the African drumming too a lot. So actually, I really, I quite liked it. I thought it was interesting Great. and really unique. Like I said, I'm not huge into jazz, and I, don't, I just don't listen to a lot. And I have a, not for lack of total interest, but I, I know zero about new jazz. I can yeah. tell you like one other right. existing jazz combo, period, probably. Which, which is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Put the you on Donnie, the spot. Donnie McClaslin, who worked with David Bowie on his oh, final album. Oh, that's right. We so talked about him. I know it's because of the David Bowie connection. I keep reading about Kamasi Washington. Um, that's, okay, the only, yeah, that's one of the only yeah, other yeah. names I could come up with, yeah. Yeah, I know that name too, yeah, for sure. So I really quite liked it, and I listened to it multiple times, and uh, I give it a two. I actually a went twofer? High a two, okay, a two. I liked well, it, I liked it. Yeah, I don't know how you, I, I mean, I can see how you, you know, wouldn't prefer it, but I don't I don't see how you could right. hate some of this music. It's so like, it's yeah. like you said, it's so fun. Right, it's so fun, and I like I like the funky. Yeah, it is very funky. Like I said, uh, Fela Kuti is the closest I could cut. Okay. Cut up yeah, I got a, I got a few more. I got a few more through lines for you in my in my little section here. 
But uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I've, I've been happy. This is one of those albums that I've been finding excuses to like recommend to people, which is not yeah. something I do very much. But it's just it's it's a really good one. Feels very timely. So uh, as I said before, this album hit me pretty hard, like right away. Um, I read a review in Pitchfork by Marty Sartini Garner that did an excellent job of fun funneling my interest into giving it a try by highlighting um, what what you were talking about is that El Zabar opens the album by reimagining the standard America the Beautiful as like warped. Um, uh -huh. And I was reading that this sort of befit the fact that America doesn't look that beautiful to everyone, that the, that, uh, that him changing the melody and all that stuff uh, was, uh, was, was quite intentional. Um, I listened to it and discovered that he accomplishes this by keeping just a faint whiff of the original melody all the way through or the melodic structure, not necessarily mm -hmm. the actual melody, but the distance between the notes, but then adds sometimes atonal harmonies and counter melodies on top, swirling around it in different shapes, um, creating this kind of cracked version that nonetheless is recognizable the whole way through as the original. So he moves from that um, on the album into some real funky minimalism with Jump and Shout, for those now gone, and Express Yourself, and Freedom March, before slowing it down nicely with a three-song set that gets really contemplative and smoky and ending with a couple of the songs. Smoky. Smoky. I just love, that's one of my, that's one of my jazz things. It's like, I don't know what smoky means exactly, but it just, some, uh, some jazz music is smoky. It's smoky. It's, it's smoky. just smoky. Um, he ends the album with a couple of songs that belie a feeling that no one saw coming in this awful year. Our old friend Hope. There's actually Hope on this album. Um, oh, shit. I read several Hope reviews. Oh, we never died. <laughs> yeah. It was always alive in Cahill Elzebar's heart. In all of music. Um, I read several reviews for this, and maybe they ended up critically piggybacking off of each other, but all of them seemed surprised and impressed that Hope could be a theme um, in something like this. Mm. And I think the album ends with another shock, which to my ears is the ill-fitting reprise of America the Beautiful, in yeah. which Elzebar sings the actual lyrics to the song, but over a really smooth 80s-style funk R&B backing track. Um, yeah, it wasn't as well. That was probably my least favorite yeah, track on it. Yeah, I, I think by far. Um, but it, it almost felt like a bonus track. It did almost like, feel like a bonus like track. Like it would be the B-side on the America the Beautiful single, you know? Like, I think... If, it, I, if such a thing came out. I mean, I, I think that the badness of it is uh, intentional. Um, yeah. And I think it was supposed to be on there, um, especially after the careful sequencing of the rest of the album, which is like in these yeah. suites, which I really like. Um, obviously, I'll skip it once I get my physical copy. It's right at the end. Um, it only musically offended me because I love complete and perfect quote unquote albums, the ones that take you on an artful arc and journey before sticking the landing with the final track. Um, and I th I feel like this is one of those albums, but there's just uh, you just need to lift the needle after the penult penultimate song. Um, because Prayers for the Unwanted Sufferings, which is the second-to-last track, is amazing. Um, the album's songs come originally from a soundtrack to a documentary series called, you guessed it, America the Beautiful, done by a documentarian named Daryl Roberts. Without lyrics, and whether paid, paired with the documentary footage or not, it seems to convey a bevy of associations, uh, from the global pandemic, to the politics of the day, to what patriotism means to minority and oppressed politicians, police brutality, black experience in America, um, but also the aforementioned ebullience and hope. Without having read the reviews and essays that I did, Chaz, did your listening experience at all suggest any of the above, or were you just able to listen to it purely from a musical standpoint? Like, did it say anything well, extra to you? I, I think coming out in this year, 
from an American black artist calling it America the Beautiful and mm-hmm. coming out with that warped opening to things. Yeah. Like, it was clear there were some political intentions on this. Like, it was okay. clear this wasn't just a good time album like that. And so I got that far in there. And I, I purposely did not read anything more about it. I was curious about a lot of this. But I purposely didn't read any more because I was waiting to, you know, learn it from you instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was clear that I, I don't see how you couldn't be party on your mind if you're releasing mm-hmm. an album called America the Beautiful in 2020. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how that isn't part of things. Honestly. And yeah, yeah. opening track, I, pretty, I think it pretty well establishes, like, some of the intentions behind this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I do want to say that this clearly is a pointed work and, um, and the important social commentary is not just peripheral to it, but rather much of the point, um, after having read, you know, other, other sources. Um, I don't feel as a critic and listener that I possess the knowledge to really discuss that commentary the way it should be discussed in depth. Um, but I can comment on the music. And so that's how I will proceed. Um, even with the relatively little jazz experience I possess, I recognize some different jazz subgenres in the songs, whether it's the African polyrhythms that you mentioned, or Art Blake, uh, you know, kind of like the ones on Art Blakey's Orgy and Rhythm, the free jazz of Ornette Coleman, only more to- tonally melodic, you know, and listenable than free jazz tends to be, um, the jazz funk of the Cannonball Adderley Quintet on Country Preacher. I also hear a little of the spiritual jazz of Pharaoh Sanders, um, whom El Zabar has worked with in the past. Um, I've identified, what I've identified most of all, and that I appreciate, and that speaks to me, is the instrumentation and the timbre of the instruments on this. I really love the strings in particular, the violin, as you said. That's, that's pretty interesting. That was both of our, our favorite thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a major preference for me. It makes me think a little bit of Charles Mingus and some of his um, big band work in the mid-1960s, really, you know, big, ebullient music. Um, to, I can uh, see that. I know, I know some Charles Mingus, and I could kind of see yeah, that. Yeah, I, I love Mingus. I convince myself Mingus is, like, my favorite sometimes. <laughs> um, and there's, like, like, there's kind of, like, a country element. There's, like, a um, not a homemade instrument, but, like, normal instrumentation um, feeling to it. Like, they're out in the field or something. Um, the strings did almost... They work, did they record this in, uh, in quarantine? I don't know. Was it record, but recorded beforehand, or was it... I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. They probably were uh, just... I think that they may have recorded it this year, but the, documentar- the documentary that it was um, scored for came out between, like, 2007 and 2014 or something. So the music... Oh, okay. The music is old, but I don't think okay. that, I, they may have re-recorded versions of them. For, okay, all right. Uh, I think the strings almost sound like fiddles uh, a little bit, which um, which I like that sound. Uh, yeah. I also hear them sort of breathing along with the hordes and woodwinds. I I heard a lot of like breathing on this album, especially on oh yeah, I especially on Freedom March. It just kind of like goes in and wheezes in and wheezes out as you go forward. Um, and I think Freedom March is my ultimate standout track. That's the one that's been stuck in yeah, my head. Yeah, that was, that was my favorite. Yeah, it's a sure. really good one, yeah. Um, I think, overall, the album has kind of a ragged sound as well. Um, not in an amateurish way, but in the actual instruments in the room kind of way. Um, a little bit what I was trying to describe with, um, with, the, with the fiddles and stuff. There's kind of like a, there's a really warm, in-the-room kind of feeling to it. Um, there's a good, there's like some good scronk on it, some scronky sounds from the tenor oh, sax. Oh yeah, it's yeah. some definite scronk yeah. Some squealing, some scronking. <laughs> Love that sound. Um, and the treble is, you know, more or less highlighted in the mix. It kind of feel, it kind of feels live. Um, the upright bass holds everything down and keeps it warm overall. 
and that dovetails nicely with a bit of a New Orleans street band sound. So you wouldn't have mm -hmm. an upright you wouldn't have an upright bass on a New Orleans street band, but yeah. um, but that kind of goes goes along. That's two different kind of wumps there. Um, I also want to highlight that there's no drum set anywhere. There's not actual. Drum. Huh, that didn't even occur to me, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the percussion is far earthier and is more handheld instruments. Um, that's mm -hmm. generally borne out by Elzebar himself um, with bongo drums and other um, African percussion. Okay. Um, I usually think when I hear bongo drums on on more recent recordings, like kind of drum circle type stuff uh, that were misused and misaligned, you know, in like the coffee house acoustic set <laughs> mm -hmm. in the like late '90s and early 2000s. <laughs> that like mm -hmm. boom, 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 boom. I'm thinking about you and I had a long running up parody <laughs> where. Around holidays, we would just sing whatever song was on as a like '90s coffee house band. Right, right. And that... you would do the like strumming guitar, and I would do the. I do the bongos. I'd be like, it was great. We three kings. We uh, we drove our family crazy. We sure did, and we still do. Whenever we're actually allowed to be together again. Uh, I think, but, uh, you know, uh, in complete contrast to what we're talking about right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> drums, like, they are the foundation of the music, so. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome, and, and they and they fit right in there. And, it, you know, bongo drums being as funky as that can't be, can't Take be something that, that happens. Take pseudo-hippie pseudo white guys. Yeah, come on, man, get out of here. <laughs> Clear the floor. Um, I also think the Starbucks is closing, okay? It's time <laughs> They don't even sell crappy CDs at Starbucks anymore. It's too bad. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Uh, to not buy was the crappy CDs at Starbucks. Um, I, I just, I just think aside from my clear personal preference for this album, I think this is kind of like a major work in 2020, um, for the press it's getting, for the music, for everything. Um, it's already landing on some top 20 lists. Um, year end yeah. lists are coming, um, along with its sister record by Elzebar called Spirit Groove, which came out just in June. So they're really cool. Oh, wow. And I, I have not gave, given that a really good listen yet, but um, it's almost one of those, like, it's supposedly it's almost kind of a double album kind of a thing. Okay. You gotta, uh, like, you gotta wait until you're ready for it, you know? I know, I like, really... I mean, I understand, like, you know, some people would be like, well, why would you listen to this album if you like this other one so much? But I, I could see that you gotta, yeah. you know, you gotta make sure you're ready for it. I know, and I'm kind of... space. And I'm kind of savoring it, you know, I'm saving it yeah. like a little bit yeah. of a, a little, little caramel, you know? It's just over yeah, there. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good for now, but I'll enjoy that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a show of support, um, on that note, I will be buying a physical copy of maybe both of these albums, but definitely oh, America the be. Beautiful. And I looked at it on vinyl because the artwork is just wonderful on the front. Yeah. I really love the artwork um, and the and the type and all that. Um, so I might, I mean, it's like thirty bucks, but I might have to go vinyl on that. I know, yeah, you uh, know, you got to spend a little to get a little. Uh, <laughs> spend a little to get a lot, Jake. <laughs> To get a lifetime of enjoyment. Do you ever think to yourself sometimes, why did I just go out to eat with my family? I spent ninety-five dollars and, <laughs> and like it's I over. Like five albums. Yeah, five albums <laughs> forever. And that experience is over and we really didn't have a good time anyway. In we two make, days the we make better food will be completely that. outside of me and nothing. Yeah, maybe even later that night, some of these places. Yeah. Not if you're spending five dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. But I don't know. That's more the that's more the twenty dollar take the family out night take. Yeah, you know? but that that stuff adds up, you know. Don't oh, you yeah. don't you dare have a glass of wine or something, or it's it's over. <laughs> uh, so I bring my wine. I bring my wine from home. <laughs> it just <laughs> I put it in a bag and strap it to my leg. It's great. <laughs> um, I'm really happy. Back to the point that I discovered a jazz album in 2020 that not only hit me hard 
but continues to speak to me going forward. So I give this one a 3.5 out of 5. I really liked it. Really liked it. So what's next, Chaz, on Louder Than Sound? Well, next uh, episode, we're going to be looking at an album that hit me really hard that was not from 2020 at all, but that I discovered in 2020, and that would be Arthur Russell's World of Echo, originally mm. released in 1986 mm. to absolutely no fanfare, <laughs> and then re-released almost 20 years later, and then people cared. So, Zero acclaim. Good for it. So we can look forward to that next week on Louder Than Sound.